I think a lot of my work is basically, it comes about from me looking at something or being fascinated by something and sort of metabolising that thing, just becoming very obsessed with it. Yeah, it's like pushing it through my body, through my consciousness, just trying to trying to understand what this thing is and why it affects me and the way it does. And then I make something out of that and then the moment other people see it is the point where I'm, I'm kind of saying, this has done this to me, does it do this to you? Does it have the same effect on you? Mm. This is how I feel about this thing. Do you feel in any way the same thing? Do we have a shared response to this thing or is it meaningless to you, you know? Why do I feel this way? What's the power of this thing? Why am I so enthralled by it? Why won't it leave me alone? <laughs> Those kind of things, yeah. You're listening to The Face Podcast with me, Matthew Whitehouse. Today we're joined at Spotify Studios by The Face's music director, Davey Reed, style and culture editor, TJ Sidju, and our special guest, artist, Mark Leckie, who shot to fame with his 1999 work, Fiorucci Made Me Hardcore, and whose latest group show, In The Offing, opened at Margate's Turner Contemporary last weekend. Well, Mark, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for being here. Nice to, nice to be here. In The Offing yes. is a group exhibition. It's, it's edited by and, and, and featuring you. Can we start with the title, In the Offing? What does that mean? It is, it's an old nautical phrase. And the offing is like the part of the sea between the horizon and the shore, or the horizon and the, and the docks, I guess. So when ships were coming in, someone would spot them first in the offing. Mm. That's how you'd know someone was, something was coming towards you mm. or something was coming into harbour. Mm. So it's this, and then it became this phrase about things about to happen. Mm. I've, I mean, I don't use it. I don't think I've ever used a phrase in my life, but it's one of those phrases you recognise, sort of. Mm. But I didn't know the origin of it. So that's, and I just like that. It's just a weird word, isn't it? Offing. offing. Yeah. And it's just, and just to think of this space as like the offing. It's like, I kind of feel like we all live in the offing a little bit, the mm. minute, mm. sort of between things. Things never quite arriving, so I just like I just like that. And then I liked that most of the artists who are in the show are like coming, are sort of coming towards us in some sense. So I like that. Mm. I'm not going to use the word emerging, but <laughs> they are doing that. That idea of of the offing, you yeah. know, and that idea of of looking out to the horizon and and seeing. I don't know, the, the future moving towards the present. What about when you looked literally out at the horizon and, and what did it make you feel and, and what did you see there? I like going to the sea at night. Mm. I like going to the sea when it's dark and in the same way that I like to watch and read horror, it it, it terrifies me. I guess there's there's some part of me that... that um, I don't know, feel, feels a need to kind of like gaze into that uh those anxieties or those or those terrors when i think of looking out to the sea i think of looking out into that kind of darkness well the show is at the turner in margate yeah uh i'm from morecambe in lancashire oh yeah and so i have a fondness for for seaside towns and i wanted to ask what it is about seaside towns what's the thing that they have that that continues to to draw people to them when i first got asked to make this i've been trying to make a film like a feature film for a long time and the location for the film is grange over sands is it yeah. just over the bay from Morgan? yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
because I'm obsessed with that place. Really? Yeah, like the Green Job is sand. So it's it's got this. I, I can't remember what it's called now, but there's sort of seagrass that comes right up That's to right. the. Yeah. Um. So so sometimes you see like sheep or cows out there That's grazing. Right. It's very strange. Um. So I've been thinking about I've been thinking about the sea and and it's intertidal as well, isn't it, Morecambe Bay? Yes. So I was kind of I've been thinking about all those things and kind of quicksand and stuff and um all the and that all the all the kind of dangers and beauty of like that area, right? So when I got asked to do the show in Margate, I was already I'd been thinking about kind of the shore yeah. for a long time or that or that kind of when I was at college a long time ago people started talking about liminal. It was a very kind of academic word <laughs> yeah, back there. Yeah. But now I've noticed it's like percolated into like everyday speech, isn't it? But I guess I guess the seaside, or well, those shorelines are kind of a liminal space in the true sense. It's all mm. between states. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, that appealed to me. And then, you know, I grew up in in the northwest, so we used to go, I mean, I used to go to Morecambe. Did you? Little, a little bit. I've been to Morecambe a couple of times, but mostly Blackpool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See the lights. Used to go with my nan and granddad. See, mm-hmm. the, see the lights getting turned on. Uh, and then North Wales, real. Of course, it's close. It's very close, very close to us. So, like, yeah. And and when I was a teen, go all the time to real. Every every bank <laughs> holiday we go there. So they're very familiar to me. And then Margate. One of my best mates is from Margate, so. I've I went to Margate first about 20 years ago. So I'm interested in Margate because I remember what it was like and what yes. it's like now. So it's kind of, that's interesting as well. Mm. What else did I like? And then Margate, and then the main thing that I find, I found myself sort of pulled towards is that is this weird, uh, it's not weird, it's just, it presents itself when you come out the station. There's like dreamlands at one end yeah. at the front. Yeah. And then you go, and then you look down the other end, and it's the Turner Contemporary. Mm-hmm. And and because I knew I was doing a show at the Turner Contemporary, you, you kind of I started to think about how you got these two poles between the sort of now and the then, the sort of class anxiety that you feel in Margate. You know, yeah, all the, all these things are there on offer in in that in that in that particular place in Margate. But then it contains all these other things about seaside towns. And mm. there's these emerging producers have done something in the Turner and they've called their show Oh Dreamland, yeah. which is this <coughs> short documentary by Lindsay Anderson, who did like mm-hmm. If and uh, back in the 70s. And in the 50s, he made this documentary about Dreamland that's called Oh Dreamland, which I think comes from Shakespeare, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You cool. say that like you know. Yeah, no, it but I've seen it. There you go. You got you got some of those references. Yeah, starting yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Use the word um, edited. You know, mm. edited. The show is edited by you rather than curated. What was the choice of the thinking behind the choice of word? I mean, everything. You know, it's that thing where everything's become curated, right? So there's that. So so the power of that term is kind of diminished. Um, I don't like being an artist slash. Curator, I don't like any kind of slashes <laughs> like that, and and I'm married to a curator, so I kind of felt like I was sort of taking the piss about, not or not taking her job seriously enough. So I decided, and also, but more, I guess more than that is it when you, you know, if you think about what you're doing as curation, it's it comes with a whole history and a kind of um, I don't know, a sort of over determined knowledge about about what curation is. 
And I, 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 I just didn't want that mm. incumbent on me. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be free of that in some ways, or, or as free as possible. So I liked the idea that a magazine, you know, I was, I'd love to have worked on a magazine. You know, I grew up with the face and all the rest of it. So mm. I've, I've got that fantasy about saying, you know, hey, this 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 month we're going to do our themes going to be, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. So I just I just indulged that fantasy really. Mm. And um when you were reading the face like back in the day, what was like like what were the years where you really knew it? Do you have like a favourite era of the manga? My relationship to the face is like I think I you know, I had the, I had some of the early ones, the first, like is it eighty one, something like that? Comes I think nineteen eighty was the first issue. Is the specials cover. The specials, yeah, I yeah. like I had that. Yeah. I remember having that in the house because <laughs> I was really into the specials and and then I went off it because then I, I was a casual and they did a really naff thing on casuals. Oh, really? <laughs> well, now, we look, now you, you look at it and you think it's like a good... Well, there was a, there was a period in time in the late 80s where there was a lot of coverage about casuals in fashion and also in what's going on in the terraces, a lot of reporting. Yeah, but, but for a long time it was sort of ignored. Right. You know, it was quite... You know, the face then had a reputation for being quite snob. Do you want me to talk about the face and slag it off in this way? Yes, yeah. please. Yeah, please go for it. <laughs> we didn't work there then. No, I know it's way before you were. You know, it was quite it was quite it was quite snobbish, it was quite elite and you felt like they looked down on the on the kind of that kind of terrace fashion, do you know what I mean? So and then when they did do it, they did it with all these kind of like little biffs, these little kids who, mm-hmm. who weren't very convincing. So it was like disappointing. When you saw that, so I sort of left it alone, and then and then around '88, when when sort of you know Acid House came in, I started picked it up again, mm. and then it, I remember some really good features on uh, what's his name, Dave Swindles, yeah, photographer, and all all the rest yeah. of it. So I remember having a bunch of them, and then that sort of early '90s period, I was still buying it that uh, you know when uh, Delight and all all that mm. kind of all that kind of scene was around that kind of. And Della Soul and all that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I don't, I, I don't think after that, but yeah, it was like an, it was like an important part of my youth, you know. Yeah, we've got the archive, like obviously in our office, and like through freaking through them, I think like late eighties and the mid nineties is like my favourite part. Mm. Cheryl favorite. Garrett, yeah. yeah. When, when, what was her years? Was she it was 90, 89 90... to ninety five? I think. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of seems like the golden era to me. Who was that? Cheryl Garrett was the editor. Right. She did a good job, and I, I agree with you. I think it had become quite London, you know, yeah. and it sort of towards the end of the eighties, it had become a bit. Um, there's an issue that came out, I believe, at the same time as the smiley face issue of ID, which was kind of a rave issue, and I think the face had on the cover Robert De Niro at the same time. Which I like the Robert De Niro cover, but shows how far from youth culture right. the face had yeah, drifted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Cheryl did a really good job of kind of. I guess democratizing it a bit more, yeah. and like, and it's something that we find uh, inspiring now, I suppose, and that we try and do a lot of stuff. We we look out as much as possible, you yeah. Know? And I think being we're all none of us are from London, you know, here in this room, you know, and we're trying to look out a lot, which is something that kind of ties in with the ex, you know the, the the show that you've done. I guess a lot of the Actually artists done. are from. Thank you very much. That was what we call in the industry a link. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, a, a lot of the artists are from outside yeah. of London. You know, particularly, and, and we have a particular fondness for the the Manchester artists. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that that 
I mean, I haven't been there. The sort of White Hotel is the yeah, casino. Yeah. I haven't been, but a lot of the artists coming out of that, I like, I'm interested in, like Rainy Miller and Ice Boy. Well, I don't know if Ice Boy is part of that scene, but Black Hayne, uh, Bianca Scout. Yeah. Um, so these are people I play on NCS. Um, I like what's coming out of there. So, yeah, I was sort of drawn towards that. Mm. Um H for Spirit, do you know? Yeah, did some stuff with Space Africa. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like that. I like I like the stuff that's coming out there. Um and I was looking for people who weren't really I wasn't really looking for artists. I mean the idea was to ask musicians who I who I thought would be able to like translate what they do sonically into into visual image, into video. So that that that's what I wanted to do with the show. Mm. Mark, there was something you actually said which I thought was really interesting, that all art aspires to the condition of music. And that yes. was a quote taken from uh, the art critic. Walter Pater. That's the one. What, what do you take from that quote? I mean, you know, I'm using it with a bit of leverage because, yeah. you know, it's a very romantic notion mm. that, that, that all art aspires to, to, to some kind of transcendent state, I think. And I'm, it's less... That's less what I'm interested in. I'm more interested in... You know, you talked all right. When you were talking before about about the face and how you try and how you try and um, you know include mm-hmm. as much as you can. Mm-hmm. What I like about music is that it can be both local and esoteric, right? Yes. It could be both, you know, and it is both. That's what I mean by it. I like, you know, art, art's very good at being esoteric. It's less good at being local. So I I want art to be. You know, to, to yeah, like I say, to aspire to the condition of music in that sense, to be more like music is. Yeah, because there, uh, is, there, there is sometimes an argument that art can be quite alienating. Yeah. And it can d- actually divide people because it can, you know, it can be quite snobby, it can be quite, you know, elite. Yeah, As exactly. it has been, you know, for, for so many years. But then you have music and this power to bring people together. Yeah. You know, to transcend, to, you know, feel, feel a collective feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, I was in Margate on the Sunday after they opened the show. We went to a cafe, it's called uh, Dalby's, I think oh, it's called. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Dalby's, right? Yeah. So it's an old, old, you know, uh, greasy spoon. It's good, isn't it? It's a really yeah. good one, though. A really good greasy spoon. So, because it's good, then lots of all the people who've moved to Margate from London, they go there, right? But then so do. The low, you know, people who've been going there for decades are locals and that. And you just, I was just in there, and you're just thinking, well, well, this is it, isn't it? It's like you can go to Dolby's, or you can go around the corner, and you can go to what was the other one I saw called the Good Egg or something. Yeah, something like that. You know, and you can have you can have your, you know, um, poached egg with paprika or whatever. But the people from Dolby's, they're not going to go the Good Egg, right? They're going to go. They just go to Dolby's, and it's like. This is this is the this is the thing with music though, is that it moves across those things. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And art doesn't. Yeah. Art doesn't art doesn't move across those those. Um, I was gonna say they're not barriers. I don't like that word, but it do, it doesn't transcend class in that way, you know. And I just the more I've been in the art world, the more of a problem I've had with that. And you know, the promise for me about art was that. You were participating in some idea of, of like 
I don't know, the, 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 not the true avant-garde, but the ideas that were being promoted in the art world were like pushing things forward. But after 30 years of being in the art world, I, I think music does that more effectively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think music is still more forward, you know, future-facing than a lot of art is. Sometimes art becomes quite reactionary. I feel more um, sympathetic to music than I've ever been at the <coughs> moment. I'd love to ask you about UNTS show, actually, because I've been, yeah. you know, I listened to a couple of episodes when, when you were doing this. I've heard it a couple of times before. And, like, you've kind of always been, like, really quite good at, like, keeping your finger on the pulse, like, quite a lot of the rap selections you play. Like, and I, I like your taste in rap because I feel like you kind of lean into the slightly weirder, sloppier, more surreal stuff that's coming out. And, like... In terms of you, like, keeping your finger on the pulse and, like, tapping up Ice Boy, Violet and Black A and stuff like that, like, does that come naturally to you? Because I just, you know, I've noticed that what happens to a lot of people is, like, you know, they have their teenagers and their 20s and they party and they have their heart broken and all this sort of thing <laughs> and they love music. And then once it gets time to sort out the mortgage and change the nappies, they kind of, <laughs> they're suddenly, like, atchy. All the shit which came out when I was between the ages of, like, 16 and 25 was the best and music yeah. isn't as good as yeah. that, as if it's a coincidence that, like, you have a fondness for the records which came out at the time you discovered ecstasy, you know what I mean? But, yeah. like, <laughs> like, and this happens to a lot of people, like, a lot of my mates now just want to go, go a gig of someone who was, like, popping off in 2013 or something. And, like... For you, like having to do this NTS show and, and fill it, is it an hour or two hours? It's an hour. It's an hour, but even <laughs> that, like, it's quite a lot to fill it. Do you ever just sit on your laptop and think, oh, God, I can't be asked to listen to all this shit? Or do you still, like, actually, <laughs> do you actually enjoy searching no, for new I don't, stuff still? I don't, I don't like it at all. I yeah. just, uh, I have I have a team of people who compile it for me. <laughs> yeah. No, of course, oh, course. Yeah, 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 I'll send you a CV. <laughs> yeah. No, of course, no, I, it, I mean, I, I do it now. I do a month, and then the following month I have a guest. Yeah. So because yeah. because every month sometimes is a bit of a stretch. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, you know, I play old stuff. Mm -hmm. I play I play contemporary stuff, and then I play bits I find on TikTok or, yeah. or, or Instagram or whatever or YouTube. So there's always there's always stuff there. I mean, I I obsessively gather stuff. Yeah. I can't. I can't. I'd like to stop. Yeah. <laughs> It it's um, I I was I keep thinking about this a lot at the moment. It's like, is this desire to kind of gather just going to end at some point, and then I can just go and do the gardening or something? Mm. But uh, the impulse, or, the impulse yeah. to do that is mm. just yeah. It, mm. And I've had that since I was very young. Um, so what happened with NTS is I started doing it about 2016, and basically I just. I just rinsed out all my old, like I played loads of old hardcore, mm. loads of stuff I'd, I'd picked up over the years, and then, and I wasn't really listening to contempt new music then, and then, and then, essentially I ran out, I ran out of stuff to play, so I had to start going and finding stuff, which I didn't find easier first, yeah, because all the stuff I like now is on SoundCloud and it's pretty or Bandcamp, and I didn't yeah. know about those things mm. at the time. But then once you start, you know, once you once you're in the stream, then it becomes a lot easier to gather it. And I think, I don't know. It's like there's a great book called Neon Scream. Do you know that oh, book? No, no, I've heard of it. Uh, Kit, I can't remember his surname now. Kit Williams, and he, he's basically making, trying to make the case that 
the last sort of 10 years of like, you know, rap or SoundCloud rap with like Young Thug and all the rest of it yeah. is, is, is like the most experimental form of music, do you know what I mean? That's been around since... Yeah, definitely. And it and it is. I mean, that stuff's amazing. And it, it, it you know, like you say, there's people my generation or, or younger who who think that it all ended back in, you know, two thousand or whatever. And it's it's and this stuff's being made that to me just sounds incredible, you know. Yeah. I mean I think for me, especially during like the twenty tens and that, there's a lot of theories I think about sort of music getting trapped in nostalgia and becoming too referential, which I actually think, you know, there's obviously a case of that, but I think I remember when those theories, I think it was the Mark Fisher thing inspired a lot of that kind of writing and music journalism and stuff. But at the time, I was like, well, I'm listening to, like, early future Young Thug, Chief Mm. Keef, I Love McConan, like... Um, all this stuff, like, if you were to, like, take one of those records and go back to 1995 in New York and play Biggie Smalls fan a Chief Keef record and be like this is going to be like the hottest rapper in like you know 20 years about what the fuck is this do you <laughs> yeah, know what yeah, I mean exactly. it sounds which yeah. is great which yeah. is a no, really exactly. healthy what should be doing. Sort of yeah, thing. exactly no I feel exactly the same and I love I love this stuff like you know your sort of connection with like that Manchester lot but yeah like there's something about that lot where they just make stuff which looks and sounds and feels a bit different like Black Hain I'm trying to remember the first time I like saw him, I think. I think it was that black and white video. Do you remember the yeah, one? Yeah, so Rainy Miller emails you yeah. and you forward it on to me. Yeah. And it was like the first, it's like one of them things where. Preston like, Drill. Or something yeah, like. it was like this Preston Drill thing. Yeah. It? Preston Drill, really nice. And it's like, actually, to be honest with you, I, like the first time I said, I wasn't even sure if I liked it just yeah. because it was like so not what I expected a rapper to sound like. Um, and But then I like I kept coming back to it and I think. Vegan had a video of his track with JPEG Mafia and Black Aim was dancing. I was like, oh, is that that bloke from Preston? Like, and then it was just like so visually <laughs> and, and like sonically arresting. And yeah, I just think that lot are like, you know, they, like Space African Rainy Miller have got a new album coming out and they dropped a tune with Ice Boy Violet on and Renz Nero, another Manchester artist, like a couple of days ago. And I was just thinking, oh, this doesn't really sound like anything no. I've heard before. Yeah. So I think, like, yeah, you, like, the artists that you gravitate, and I can see why, like, you, you, you seem to enjoy things which just feel and sound a little bit different to what you're familiar with. I mean, I, ca- I came to music in, like, 79. Yeah. So I was 14, 15, 79, 14. And, you know, that period, 1979 to, like, 82, it's, like... You know that's that's a that's a rich period, right? There's a lot of you know talked about the specials, but all the kind of electronic stuff that was going on, sort of post-punk stuff. Um, you know, Wire, Gang of Four, all that. Yeah. Stuff. And and ever since then, I've always been looking for stuff that that is that is both experimental and um, and pop. I like I yeah. like I like that. I like. I like when people take the structure of pop but then try to kind of break it mm. or, or kind of deform it in some way. So all that, you know, to me that's a continuum that comes right through to what you're talking about with Black Ain and the rest of it. First time I met Black Ain Tom was I was I had this show at Tate Britain back in 2019 where I built this motorway bridge and um, we were doing a video with this dancer Una Doherty, who's like this amazing dancer, and then Tom just turned up. I don't know how he turned. I don't know how he knew about it or anything. And he just started dancing in the space. And 
You've seen him dance, right? I mean, it's extraordinary, yeah. Now he's like, he's I dancing think he's inspired with, uh, by like spice users in Manchester. Is that what he says? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay, all right. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. No, I didn't yeah, know that either. But yeah, so he, I mean, I just think he's, you know, he's quite extraordinary. So I just been, then I, then I started listening to his music mm. just after seeing him dancing. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, it's much more. It's a different, it's, you know, it's a different way of absorbing music. Like I said, 79, 80, I would just go, you know, you'd look at a magazine like like The Face. You'd have John Peel in Liverpool. You had the you had Probe Records. So you had, these, you had these points you could go to where you knew you'd hear new music. And I think the difference is now then they're, they're not as uh, visible mm. or they're not as immediate. You know what I mean? You have to go and, you have to go and, I mean, it's like crate digging, but you know, digitally, yeah, digitally, yeah. yeah, virtual crate digging. So, and I like that. I was never a crate digger, but I, I've, I've got that. Like I say, I've got that same kind of impulse mm, just to find the obscure and the kind of yeah. I like finding hidden things that excites me. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? I think that the the work that you <laughs> first achieved popular success with Fear Each, you made me hardcore in nineteen ninety nine. Arguably the most nostalgic thing you did. You've arguably become less nostalgic as time has, has yeah. gone on, you know. Yeah. That drive to always hear something new or look for something new. Or we were talking before about TikTok, you know. Yeah. I know you like that in your work. Why do you think that is? Why is your, why have you, your practice changed? I don't think Fiorici was entirely about nostalgia. It wasn't about being nostalgic. It was about, like, this new condition of nostalgia that was, like, you know, that I saw in, like, Britpop. You know, it was, it was, I think that's the point where, you know, you can say, yeah, so there's, you, you know, you make the argument, you've just made the argument brilliantly that, that music is, is as forward, has as much forward momentum as it ever did. But in the, with Britpop, it kind of, there was a moment when it sort of, that kind of momentum was arrested. You know, mm. it started to look backwards. That was the first time it, mm. it it felt like the music scene had started to look back on itself, mm. you know, mm. and wasn't propelled forward in the way that it had been up to then. And so, I mean, I, you know, I like pulp, but the rest of it I didn't want anything to do with. And and then, and just that whole leaning towards, like, Cool Britannia and that, I just, it was sort of repulsive. And, and that, yeah, that condition of nostalgia. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Britain is a very nostalgic country, but I think it it's more, you know, the internet fosters nostalgia because it's because it's it's basically just this vast archive. Mm. There's an argument that's made that it's no longer about time. You know, talking about things, momentum, but it's about space, and time has been converted into space. So instead of like moving forward you're moving kind of across all the time across different times so i think that inevitably brings about a sense of kind of nostalgia mm. even even if you're even if you're you know that sense of being nostalgic for a period you were never part of yes you know i have at the moment i have an intense nostalgia for like 80s new york <laughs> but you weren't there no <laughs> i don't you know but it's just if i see any kind of like old video image of that i'm just like ah oh, yeah they were the days mm. you know <laughs> but you know it's it, it has i have no relation to it whatsoever mm. so i think i think yeah so that's kind of what i mean it was nostalgic as well 
I was, you know, it was at the end of my 30s and I was kind of... I'd been living in America and I'd come back to Britain and I'd carried, I, I did carry a deep sense of nostalgia for, for my youth when I came back. That was the initial impulse, but then after that you start to think, no, this is, this is something... This is something that's been done to me. It's not. It's not coming entirely from me. It's. It's. It's been imposed on me. You know. So I, I think. And I think there is. There's a kind. It's a kind of industry, isn't it? Mm. Nostalgia. spoke a little about you you lived in america for for a period and then yeah. you moved back to yeah to the united kingdom you grew up in ellesmere port i did what did you think of art when you were growing up uh i didn't know about it hmm. i had i had no uh i had no knowledge of it whatsoever and if anything i had a suspicion of it i think that's how you grow up in those kind of towns you know what i mean uh, suspicious of anything that's kind of outside of your experience or your knowledge. I think that was an important part of unionism, you know what I mean? That, that you learnt about the world outside you through the unions. Um, but often, you know, as, as a young lad, it'd be like, you just think those things were kind of for students. Yeah. In the most scornful way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> students. Um, mm. <laughs> and like you know, no one I knew was a student. Like no one, no one went to university and all the rest of it. So I had no experience of that. But I like to draw. You did. Yeah, I loved drawing. And basically, my stepdad, kind of, he, he was a dock worker, part of the union, and he had a larger horizon. And he was like, you know, you could do, you could do something with this. You could do something with with your your abilities. You know. He saw it in the offing. He saw it in the office, exactly, nicely done, yeah. He saw that and, uh, you know, ever grateful to him. And from then I started, you know, I went, basically I found my way back to art school. And my initial love was um, sort of early Renaissance paintings. That's where, that's, that's, that was my access point. That was my first appreciation, it was like Giotto and... Piero della Francesco and stuff like this. You've told a great story in the past of your mates went on a, <laughs> oh, yeah. on a lad's holiday, right? And you yeah. went interrailing to the Sistine Chapel. I did. And that was a formative experience for you, but not in the way that you maybe expected when you set off. No, no, it was, it was quite disastrous because... <laughs> I was still a little scally and I wouldn't talk to any students. <laughs> so I kind of... Uh, yeah, I kind of fucked myself on that one because um, <laughs> that's all that that's that's all I met because I was staying in you know hostels and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, it's that weird kind of. I guess it's like an inverted snobbery, isn't it? It's like yeah, I'm not going to talk to them, and I I had no idea what I was doing and basically just drifted around Europe for as long as I had some money and then had to had to kind of scrabble my way back and that was it. But I saw the Sistine Chapel, which was great. I saw it before it got repainted, which is something. Mm. So, 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really believe in those kind of like. I'm, I'm not convinced by those kind of like that idea that you go and like have an experience like that to, to change yourself. But, sure. um, but going to America did change me. So, mm. that 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 was a formative experience. More going to there. And that was you. You you lived in San Francisco, and then I believe Las Vegas, and then New York. Yeah, yeah. Mostly right. Yeah. And New York was when really art kind of entered your life in a more full way. Yeah. I met, um, I became friends with Gavin Brown, yes. who, who set up a gallery, or literally was setting up a gallery when I met him. And I wasn't really interested in being an artist, but I just, he was my mate. I liked hanging around there. There was a lot going on. It was kind of, it's good, you know, it was a good crack, it was a good laugh. And I just hung around the gallery and then eventually met someone who, who kind of commissioned, basically commissioned. Fiorucci. So, you know, when I left art school, I was down in London for two years and then I had a stall on Portobello Market, used to sell clothes and then and then went bankrupt very quickly. You didn't uh, sell many clothes? No. I did that classic thing where you sell a lot of... I, I, it was when everyone wanted Levi's and I found some old rare Levi's and then never found them again. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that was the end of that. So I was just, I was in London. I didn't really know anyone. I didn't have any connections to anything. So I just went to America. And then when I went to America, I met, I made those connections. I kind of, I don't know. What was the scene like then, Mark? Especially... In New York? Yeah, especially the club scene. Were a lot of friendships um, formed? I wasn't really going out in club, uh, oh, to be yeah. honest. No, I don't remember going to clubs. We just used it. We just used to hang around the gallery and drink a lot. Yeah. And then at some point, an artist called Piotr Uklansky put in a, a disco floor and then Gavin turned the bar, turned the, that part of the gallery into a bar called Passerby. And we just, yeah, we just hung out there all the time. So you made your own party. Yeah, it, no, it, it really was. It was like that. It oh, was just, nice. it was just making your own scene yeah. out, of, mm. out of very little. You talk about this uh, led to the commission for Fiorucci. Yeah, and um, I've read before that you said it took three years to to make, and you didn't realise that it was anything special until the opening night when you yeah. first played it to people, yeah. and people liked it. Yes. What did that feel like that moment? Was it was it a, a aha? I've done it moment. What did what was it like that feeling? I was thinking about it the other day, actually. It was oh, yeah. like thinking it was absolute garbage. <laughs> just, well, not garbage. I just thought it was very just kind of sentimental, self-indulgent, maudlin, morbid. Just, just I was just sort of, sort of repulsed by it or mm. self-disgust mm. at what I, what I was doing and just thought, ah, this is not good. Mm. Why would anyone want to watch this? And... And then it was at ICA in 1999, and Scott King, I don't know if you heard of Scott yeah, King, used Scott. To, yeah, used to work for Dazed, right? Sleaze. Sleaze, Scott. Scott very also. briefly. That was it, right? So Scott was doing this magazine at the time with a, with a friend of his whose name has escaped me. Is this Crash? Crash, yeah, exactly, it was Crash. So that was part of Crash. Mm. And they projected, you know... I don't know. I should give. I should always give more acknowledgement to this because they didn't know who I was or anything. Scott didn't know who I was. Emma Dexter, who's at the ICA, didn't know who I was. Mm. So 
yeah, I, they they gave me a big opportunity, you know, and uh, showed Fiorucci, and it was literally like everyone was patting me on the back, really, and saying how great it was, and I was just like, yeah, I was sort of completely blown away and 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 taken by surprise and all of it, but the problem was, I just thought that's what happened when you made art. <laughs> Whether this, it was good or bad, you still this get would a always happen, <laughs> and it doesn't work. No, like it doesn't. That, does it? it doesn't work that way. As I found out on my next piece, yeah, yeah. and it went very quiet. <laughs> so, yeah, I was kind of spoiled with that first reception. Um, no, it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, still kind of like in 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 a, in a real true sense, I still can't believe it. You know, and I still feel like that way when it. When whenever I make anything and, and it's kind of received well, it's like, yeah, it's it's hard to, it's it's hard to kind of acknowledge in yourself, or I I find it hard to acknowledge in myself. Mm. I mean, I do think I'm good. Yes, but I don't. I but still, when it's like, when people respond in that way, it's like, really, you know. Anyway. Does it always feel that emotional? Does it ever become a craft that you can kind of go, I'm going to go and do my work now and it's going to be a craft? Or yeah. Is it always that profound? No, it definitely becomes a craft, you know. Uh, yeah, I definitely think of it as a craft, mm. you know, that, that is on par with, like, painting or sculpture. Yes. Yeah. And if it, it's the same for me. It's very plastic in that way. It's like you're, you're just, you're, you're manipulating something, you know, not, but not physically. That's the difference. You're manipulating something virtually, but it's still a kind of, you know, you're in there with it, moving it around and twisting and mm. shaping it. Yeah. What do you have kind of flying around your head at the moment of things that you that you want to do? You know, those ideas that are knocking around somewhere that you you have on, on the back burner. I really want to make a film, like I thought I mentioned before, this film up in Grange, yeah. Grange, Grange over Sands. Uh, yeah, so I've got a couple of I've got things next year, which is always good, because there's always the panic that there isn't something next year, mm, uh, mm. and I need still, yeah, very much, yeah, and I need um, I don't know if I could do it on my own. I don't know if I could just will something into existence without having some kind of a deadline or objective or or or, or invitation. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um. So yeah. Well, thank you for accepting this invitation. Today. No, it's, it's great. I really enjoyed it. To you. Yeah, nice talking to you too. Thank you for listening to the Face Podcast, where this week I was joined by Face Music Director Davy Reed, Style and Culture Editor TJ Sidhu, and our special guest artist Mark Leckie. The Face Podcast is produced by Hunter Charlton, recorded at Spotify HQ. We'll see you next time.